Welcome to Probably Science, your week in half-assed science. I'm one of your hosts, Andy Wood, joined by Matt Kirshen. Hey, we're in a different location this week. I wonder if it sounds any different to people. We're in the living room. We've moved it indoors. It's nice. I I guess there's no, there's no reason we couldn't be doing this more often and have air conditioning. I don't know why we're... It just seems like Probably Science equals backyard. I don't know. I think people like the birds going past. I think Do they? Our guests like to be able to see a swimming pool in their peripheral vision. That does kind of make it a special thing for the guests. Yeah, how many? Po- there's a lot of indoor podcasts. We're one of the few outdoor ones, mostly. Maybe. What if we started an entirely outdoor podcast-based festival? It's <laughs> not a good idea. I think you should get ever increasingly specific festivals, Sandy. You, th- you know, I think that's what my destiny is: is to find the most, is keep making festivals until I find one so specific that. Only I show up, yeah. and then that's when is I... Is there a Pez Dispenser Festival? I bet there is, actually. I, I bet it's probably bigger than anything that I'm involved in. Yeah. Pez Fest. I'm sure Pez Fest exists. Let's see. Pez Festival. Where would you guess it's based? I would guess it floats around the U.S. I guess, it, like, different U.S. locations every every year. But you're thinking definitely U.S.-based Pez Festival. That's my guess. Come on, Internet. I'm guessing the last one was in Wisconsin, and next year it's going to be in Arizona. Come on, internet. If I'm right about those two things, then that'll be remarkable. Nope. Wait, there's, there's the, a musician. There's a musician called Pez who has a song called The Festival Song, which is definitely skewing results. Oh, Pezzamania, the world's largest gathering of Pez collectors, Pez there dealers, and Pez authors. Cleveland, Ohio. I was close. I was really, cl- I was not too far off with Wisconsin. And it's been going for 25 fucking years. There we go. 25 years of Pez Festival. I mean, Wisconsin and Ohio are quite a distance apart, but I think still I was... I was in the right part of the right country. There's Pez-themed face painting. Oh, my God. This is the worst festival, man. <laughs> oh, my God. This is way more depressing than I thought it would be. <laughs> Just, and it, it, it's, it's all, it seems to be all people in there. I would say like the median age is probably 52 for everyone involved in the Pez scene. Yeah, there's a, it's an older scene than I thought. Who knew? I thought there'd be some young whippersnappers, some Pezlets. <sighs> This is, oh my God, this is their Burning Man. This is their Comic-Con. This is, they, they plan their whole year around this gathering of pet. Got Pez, says the guy's t-shirt. Answer is yes, we got <laughs> he Pez. He does got Pez. Um, the pictures of the people, to set the scene, it looks a little bit like either like um, an outlying Republicans conference. They do seem like they vote, they, they, they lean a little right. Or maybe a kind of rural swingers party. It does have that swingers look. It does, right? It, these, seem, these people seem like they could own Harleys. They could be into swinging. Okay. Oh, what if it's like Pez cosplay swinging? Like they have to wear the head things while they're... It's like the, the worst version of the eyes wide shut party. <laughs> someone, someone pushes on your back to make your mouth open. <laughs> oh. Field trip. We got to make a field trip to Pez Fest. I'm sorry, Pezamania. Pezamania.com slash gallery.php if you guys want to follow By the way, on. what happened to Peztival? Ex- Pezamania? Okay. Come I'm just on, gonna, I'm going to go to Peztival.com because if they haven't registered that, we should squat on that and sell them back that site once we tell them how good it is. It's not even a site. Okay. Uh, 503 service unavailable. Yeah, Someone we could get should. some We could get some money out of Big Pez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so I feel like we only have about 15 minutes to get into this. Let's, um, it's just the two of us right now at the moment. Why are there just the two of us right now, Andy? Because I'm very excited. I uh, This is at least the second, if not third time, I've made you go along with a little um, journey of whimsy, a little um, um, thing where I just want to have on someone that I know, and I'm hoping that you'll come along for the ride. And uh, Andy's showing off one, a connection. Yes, I am... Yeah, I'm pr- not proud. I guess I can't be proud of... It's sort of condescending. Uh, I'm excited that a friend of mine was involved in the recent uh, New Horizon... Is it New Horizons or New Horizon? The the Pluto flyby, which happened a day after we recorded last week. So I, we're coming to this a little bit late to the game. But um, New Horizons is the name of the mission. Um, but I, it's, 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 uh, it's the first time we've gotten up close, relatively up close pictures of Pluto. This is a probe that was launched 10 years ago. And a good friend of mine from college was involved in the development of that probe. So, uh, and Pluto was discovered, it says here, on February 18th, 1930. So it's taken a good 85 years between like us discovering it and getting a spacecraft right up close. And it was named by a child. It so. was. I heard that she, um, she was paid the equivalent of about 500 current dollars for the... Uh, for the naming. And, and to be honest, she's an idiot because she was offered stocks in Pluto. <laughs> like She should have taken points yeah, on that deal. Pluto stocks. God, God. Well, then again, you know, maybe she was, maybe she thought this through because if she cashed down in the 80s when Pluto was really flying high, uh, it would have been great. But then it got degraded. Right. Thanks in part to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, uh, within the last 10 years, he was part of the, um, he was an advocate for demoting Pluto from planet status to just being a, a trans... Was it a trans-Neptune body? See, here's my problem with that. Like, I'm a, I'm, I am for the most part a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson and his work. I think one of the finest science communicators of the modern era. Mm-hmm. He's doing some great work. But I think what happens is once you get a bit of TV, your ego starts to inflate. And there's something ugly that happens with certain people when they become stars in their own right. Where they're like, it's not enough for me to be famous Everyone else has to go down and door watch. closes behind me. Yeah, yeah, you gotta. Yeah, and I think there might have been some of that going on with with Professor Tyson, where he was like, "Listen, I'm the star of the solar system. Mm-hmm. There's not enough space for a I can... ninth celestial body." <laughs> and there are good reasons, though. There are good reasons not to include it. Um, so for a long time, I guess when it was first discovered, people thought. Excuse me. People thought that it was approximately the same size as Earth, and as we've gotten more and more advanced technology, we've realized it's smaller and smaller. Until um, we now know its diameter to be about fifteen hundred miles, and the Earth is about eight thousand miles across. Which, um, because of how things work in cubes, uh, its its volume compared to Earth's, it's about like one two hundredth the volume of Earth. So a lot smaller. It's even smaller than Moon. Than Moon? What? what? <laughs> Am I an alien? What is... It's even smaller than our moon, than the moon. Um, and the criteria that we use to decide what's a planet... I like you avoiding any articles there. I, li- I like I like the idea that it's just another friend of yours. It's... Or else you the, know moon. It's... Uh, it's, moon, it's you, you know moon. You would you know, know moon. <laughs> Remember you know your party. Moon moon. Remember your party. Moon. We had the fire pit. Moon moon. And then at around like 8 p.m., moon arrived. Moon. Moon. <laughs> it's, it is strange that I... Uh, I remember when, when Moon Unit Zappa became sort of famous, not sort of famous, when like Valley Girl came out in the 80s, she was having a moment, and it was my dad's favorite 
joke to just be like, can you believe there's someone named Moon Unit? Like that, that's the craziest thing in the world that Frank's That's, dad, that's not actually a joke. That's just an observation. It's just, but I, my dad just took so much delight in it. And uh, I think it's now <laughs> funny that I've come to live in California and that she's not a close friend, but she is a friend. Like I've been at, uh, and Jason Ashes uh, is your dad like? Place. Can you believe that my son knows someone? <laughs> but it's just like, like he hasn't updated. Like he's marginally updated his joke. Yeah, I, I, I haven't even told him because I think it would blow his mind. It's like yeah, it's just Moon. She just goes by Moon. She doesn't try to like show off that it's a Moon unit. It's uh... also when it comes down when people are like these crazy celebrity names. Every name is like there's nothing. Yeah. Well, there's ones that are traditional. There's ones that are biblical. I mean, yeah, but what's biblical though? That means that just means that someone a few thousand years ago thought that was a reason that was a sound that could be applied to a person as a label. I'm with Uh, you. Can you believe this person called David? David. But imagine that. There's an in between between that and like pilot inspector with a K. Oh my goodness. D. Yo, what's up, man? <laughs> How's it going, that man? That is unbelievably loud. That's Hang very on a loud. Second. I got to turn you down a little bit. Is this better? Is this un- not unbelievably loud? Yes, I think that is good. I'm Matt, by the way. Hello. I'm Andrew's co-host. We- I'm Deepak. Matt, Matt uh, Andy Cole goes, well, I used to go by D back in college. D, I yes. I didn't trust people to, to pronounce my name right because I don't quite do it right all the time myself. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I was uh, I was hoping I would have time to like give this longer introduction uh, about like our history together, and uh, uh, so we'll have to just do it together. So I I think I haven't seen you in person in sixteen years, maybe. Well, I think I think the last time I saw you was when my mom took a picture of you and I at college graduation. Okay. I think I actually think that's the last time I saw you. So that would have been whatever year we graduated. 16, I don't know. If, and I, sixteen. Yeah. I may be getting the information up because Andy wrong because Andy's just explained this to me very briefly. But you are currently you've just orbited Pluto. You're just you're just passing it now. All right, orbited is the wrong word. We just did a <laughs> we just fl- flew by Pluto, um, and that was yesterday morning. You personally at, uh, are right are near Pluto right now, is what Matt's asking. Yeah, me personally, I am right by Pluto. That's okay. that's, Man, right. That's, that's right. This is a long distance phone call, so it takes it takes about four and a half hours for light to get from Pluto to to the to the Earth. So you're doing so re- somehow somehow we figured out how to communicate faster than light. You are so doing I can a actually remarkable- talk to you in real time. I'm going to assume that you're just doing a remarkable job of predicting what questions we were going to ask and saying them four and a half hours early that, that, that i'm that good i'm that good <laughs> and actually you're that good too because you're like you're like prompting it just at the right time so wow we, 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 this, this is awesome and we plan we must have planned this like more than like you know nine years ago because we launched the, <laughs> we launched this thing back in 2006 what, what did so skype didn't even exist then did it so we had to invent we skype we in the d- interim and dude dude we are that good like yeah. we, pre- we predicted this you know we predicted that long that Skype would exist. We predicted predicted how you know when exactly New Horizons was going was to fly by Pluto, and we predicted exactly when my daughters were going to have a dance class, so we could time this right <laughs> at this really time. Well. <laughs> nine years ago, so and they are also that, that dance class is on Pluto, correct? So that dance, well, yeah, I just dropped them, them off. You know, okay. I just dropped them off, so it's like you know, it's cold. We, we we had to buy new we had to buy new gloves and mittens for them. So oh, yeah, you well, know. That, I think that's what leg warmers are for, right? That's right. Pluto that's right. But it, it's it's tough though because you know you, you're wearing all these layers and you know dance moves are kind of hard to do when you're all bulked up like that with clothing. <laughs> but you know they've they've figured it out though, that's so we're all thing. good. So, so let's let, let's go to uh, near the beginning. What was your involvement in uh, in New Horizons originally? How did, in fact before that, how did you even end up on the New Horizons team? What were you doing that led to you being on that team? Well. 
pretty much my entire career, uh, professional career, has been with the Applied Physics Laboratory with Johns Hopkins University. And specifically inside of that laboratory, I've been working on space projects for literally the last 15 years of my life. So there's been there's been quite a few of them that we've launched, uh, New Horizons being one of the biggest. Um, and, you know, we're still working on future projects that have yet to launch as well. So it's just a natural progression of various projects that our lab has been working on. And, you know, luckily, well, not I shouldn't say luckily, it took a hard, lot of hard work by a lot of, lot of people. We managed to get it right. That's um, awesome. It, it's got to be so strange because this is, this is the culmination of, or not even the culmination because it's still ongoing, but this is the result of work from pretty much a decade ago that you more than a decade ago i mean this this mission i mean people have been talking about a pluto flyby for probably about as long as we've been alive um but this the plan the the real detailed design of this of this mission started in the very early 2000s because it takes it takes you know several years to actually come up with a design build the thing test the thing and launch it you know it doesn't sound like a whole lot but it, that takes a lot of work to oh it do sounds that. like a hell of a lot <laughs> yeah yeah it, and it, get it funding is. as it well is. like presume like once you even made the initial proposals and the basic designs then you've got to persuade governments and organizations to pay for the thing absolutely absolutely so you got to make sure the scientists are behind you they can make the science case that you know the dollars are worth the science and you know fortunately we had uh you know people that were supportive of this mission throughout uh throughout the early 2000s to enable us to launch in 2006 and then of course as you know pluto's a long way away you know light takes four and a half hours to get there um so but it took our mission nine years to go, like to go like, three billion miles right it's about yeah you probably wikipedia this so yeah, you probably I, know <laughs> the, you probably know the stats before, uh, more more so than i do but yeah i, I think the the nine years three bill, three billion miles is one of the sound bites that we've been using so mm-hmm. that's appropriate for this <laughs> And before this, we'd sent, I mean, we've have, we have sent probes uh, into the far reaches of the solar system, but just none have gotten very close to Pluto in particular, right? None of them, yeah. Nothing has flown by Pluto. Yeah, we have Voyager 1 and 2 that are on their way out there. Those were launched, you know, quite a while ago, you know, mm-hmm. but before, before we had professional lives and that kind of thing. But, you know, this New Horizons is our generation's Voyager 1 and 2. And, you know, at the time, th- these things, you literally have to plan these when the planets line up exactly. Yeah, that's so, what, I, I was wondering how much of this is just like, okay, we can do the math to know that in July of 2015, Pluto will be right here. So we'll, for the most part, aim this thing in one direction and not have to move it much and just get it going as fast as possible. Is that kind of the general idea? That's, that's the general idea with one, with one twist. So we, need, we still didn't have enough velocity to get out there in a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. So we actually timed it such that Jupiter happened to be in the right spot such that we could fly by Jupiter, grab a little gravity from them, and slingshot us further at, a, at an even faster rate. And that way we got to Pluto, uh, I think, several years quicker uh, because of the assist from Jupiter. Wow. So initially... Kinda, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's, it's kind of neat. So, you know, we, we had to get off Earth as fast as we possibly could. So Pluto, the, the spacecraft itself is ridiculously light. It's very, very light. Uh-huh. But the rocket that was used to launch it, I think, is the biggest rocket that that was available at the time, like the biggest rocket on the Earth at that time. And then we strapped on a whole bunch of extra boosters on top of it to try to get as much velocity coming off of Earth as we could. And even that wasn't enough. So we had that's that's what prompted us to come up with the mission that flew by Jupiter. And Andy, you probably remember some of this stuff from your physics days back in the day. Uh-huh. 
but we borrowed a little bit of gravity from Jupiter. So we, it was, it's actually it's kind of a neat uh, trick that rocket scientists use, where you can actually use flybys of planets to either speed up or slow down. And in this case, we 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 use Jupiter to speed us up further. So Jupiter actually slowed down an infinitesimal amount because of we, we borrowed that momentum and transferred it to our spacecraft. Oh, so it's the and momentum we were, of its orbit around the sun, not of its own gravity on its own. It's 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 the momentum of it traveling. Well, you got to look at everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to look at everything as a system. You know, you got Earth that's moving. You're, you're launching off of Earth, so you already have Earth's velocity behind you, right? Okay, yeah. And then 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 you slingshot by Jupiter, so you're picking up a little bit of velocity there. And at that point in time, you know, the sun is like the main gravity thing pulling you back, but you're still you're still moving forward, and uh-huh. you want to just get out there as fast as you can because it's it's a long way. Because that that's the thing that puzzled me for a long time about yeah, slingshotting is like at first I was like, well, hang on a second, don't you lose all the momentum flight leaving Jupiter that you do that you gain going towards it, forgetting the fact that Jupiter itself has momentum and is itself moving. It now there's there's some physics equations that you know if we had a whiteboard we can go through and you know befuddle a bunch of people but depending on on how you do the flyby and whether you're going in front of jupiter or behind jupiter you can actually do what's called a momentum transfer so you're actually using it to pick up speed um there's another mission i worked on called messenger which actually ended a four-year orbit of mercury earlier this calendar year and to get to mercury was was a different story we actually had to do the opposite you had to slow down um, you had to, to get into, into orbit around Mercury, you had to be passing by it sufficiently slow such that its gravity, and Mercury's a small planet, you had, you had to go by sufficiently slow such that its gravity would be strong enough to pull you into orbit. Okay. Right? So, so the problem is, going, you, know, you know, imagine yourself on Earth wanting to go to Mercury, right? So you're, you're, hanging, you're hanging out, doing your thing, spiraling inwards. You got the sun, which is like really big pulling you in faster and faster so the sun is kind of working against you here so you need to the sun wants to accelerate you towards itself but you want to keep slowing down so we actually came up with a a mission where we flew by earth once flew by venus twice and flew by mercury three times each time doing one of these gravity assists that we talked about but the opposite way from the jupiter flyby so we used all of these flybys to slow down the messenger spacecraft each time such that we got to mercury finally slow enough to get captured into orbit new horizons different beast you know we had to we we wanted to get faster and faster so that's just the physics of how you do a flyby sometimes you could pick up speed sometimes you could slow down so it it depends on what you're trying to do if these planets weren't in orbit and were just stationary objects you couldn't actually gain any velocity from slingshotting around them just from their own gravity it has to be their actual it's the movement. movement. Okay, that yeah, makes, that answers a thing I've never understood. Even with the old uh, Apollo missions, when they would slingshot around the moon, I never got how that would actually gain you anything or around the Earth yeah, to get to it, the moon. It's, yeah. yeah, it's all about momentum, not just not just a stationary mass. Yeah, that, that makes, makes more. So, what was your specific role within the team? Well, for for New Horizons, it was it was actually really good timing because we we had just launched the Messenger spacecraft, and I had a fairly significant role there, and that was in two thousand four. So I. I was available for two years, and I hopped on over to the New Horizons project, which was another another mission that our lab was developing at the time. And it was kind of, you could say, in its anchor leg of getting it off the ground. You know, it takes several years to to get the mission put together, and it was in the last eighteen months of it. And my job was to basically ensure that everything that was built 
from the instruments to the to propulsion system to the communication system and all that stuff, make sure that everything that was built was built as it was supposed to and they all worked together the right way. So in charge of putting together the the plans to verify that everything was going to do what it, what it was actually designed to do. Nice. So that was what I oversaw. Did you have a little... Yes, it was... When it hit, Go ahead. When it hit Pluto, did you have like a little New Horizon reunion where you all got together, champagne? Well, it, you, you mean when yesterday was I scared, was the question? <laughs> <laughs> if you like. Yeah. I mean, we we rehearsed this over and over again. You know, we had, we had nine years to get there. So yeah. the operations team, which was a spectacular group of people, you know, they, they put together sequences, they, you know, uploaded all the commands that the spacecraft was going to perform and they tested it over and over and over again. So while we're always scared, it, uh, we had, a, we had a certain level of confidence knowing that we've, we'd done everything we possibly could do. And, there was confidence, but of course, <laughs> we felt really, really, really good when the spacecraft contacted us when it was supposed to and said, "Hey, you know, I survived the flyby, and I have a whole bunch of data on board ready to ready to talk to you." So that was certainly an awesome moment when we saw that signal. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, and now it's yeah. so it's captured. Uh, I'm just looking at the the Johns Hopkins site for the mission. It has breakdowns of each different subsystem on on New Horizons, and it says it have, has an eight. It has a two different eight gigabyte recorders. So presumably mm-hmm. those all got filled up in the last day or two. Cause now it's already shot way past Pluto, right? It was a pretty quick window. It was, time. it was very fast. Yeah. Yeah. The, the vast majority of the data collection happened yesterday morning. Okay. Earth, t- Earth t- time. Tuesday, uh, July 14th. Cause this won't be up until next week. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so That's then, right. so then we can't get, then the bandwidth to return that to us is pretty slow. So it just has to dole that out slowly over the next year or so long time. long time well 16 months is the design it's going to take 16 months to get everything down we're trying to see what we can do to speed that up i mean if you're talking all the way from pluto to earth you know your your, your data rates are just very 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 slow uh-huh. you know just the, the distance alone makes the received power so small that uh yeah the fastest i think the fastest data rate that we're using is on the order of like two kilobits per second, not oh, not yeah. kilobytes, but kilobits right. but even per that, second. Even that's pretty. That's very impressive. That's like considering, firstly, that's ten-year-old technology uh, on board. That's that's pretty quick, and also the amount of loss of data that you must. So there must be a huge amount of duplication of data that's being transmitted because it can't be a continuous stream, right? Well, it it. It's as continuous as it can be. Whenever we have a ground station on Earth scheduled to look at the spacecraft, um, we will be sending data down. Right. So it, you know, we, we make sure that the spacecraft knows when to start transmitting. So it's not if like, we know well in advance when we're going to be talking to the spacecraft, and the spacecraft also knows that because we we upload schedules to it. So it knows when to start transmitting data back to us, knowing that by the time it's the light stream gets down to Earth, we will have an antenna pointed in that direction to hear the message. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we schedule all that stuff well in advance, but it's, it's really not the technology that's been limiting. You'd mentioned earlier that we're, we're talking 10 year old technology. Well, that's, that's true. It is 10 year old technology, but it's really the power, you know, with, when you have a spacecraft, you know, imagine a spacecraft in your head. One of the first things you imagine are these big solar panels, right? Cause that's what most spacecraft have is oh. they're powered, they're powered by the sun. But also, most spacecraft are kind of local to Earth, where the sun is 
the size of the sun that we see when we look up in the sky. Mm-hmm. But if you're way out at Pluto, I mean, the sun is tiny, like really small. Right. So as a result, the amount of solar power that you have access to is really not much to not not a whole lot. Uh-huh. So what we ended up having was a called an RTG, a radioisotope thermo. You could look, you could Wikipedia this thing, but it's it's nuclear. Oh, okay. It's the only way that, that yeah, it's a nuclear powered spacecraft. That's the only way to actually have power all the way out there. I know um, about these things from the novel The Martian because that's what he used to heat his capsule in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's basically just a lump of radioactive material that's constantly giving off energy that gets. And that heat, that heat is being converted to electrical power. That's exactly right. So because, because of, we also needed to make sure that New Horizons was ridiculously light or else we couldn't have, we couldn't have accelerated it fast enough to get to Pluto, mm-hmm. you know, that, that also limited the amount of power, you know, it limited the amount of plutonium that we could carry with us because, you know, every, every gram that we launched was precious because that just made us that much slower, you know. So right now, the spacecraft, I think, is operating with a total available power of, like, 200 watts. You know, just, just think, think about that. You have a spacecraft that has all these instruments, all these cameras, these transmitters that can transmit a signal back to Earth, you know, all these other, you know, infrastructure things on board the spacecraft to make it run. The whole thing is under 200 watts. It's like three light bulbs. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, that's crazy. What's, that's, the, what's that's, the size of it? What's the, the approximate dimensions of the whole thing? It's it's about a grand piano. It's okay. about the size of a grand piano. So almost the shape of one too. If you if you look at a picture of it. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture. It has uh, the main the biggest part of it is the the antenna, and then um, mm-hmm. there's a little uh, cylindrical black thing sticking out to one that, side. That, that's actually that's the power source. That's oh, the okay. RTG, the radioisotope thermonuclear generator. I think okay. I might have gotten that. I so might have gotten that wrong. There's no other power. It's not getting any power any other way than that. So whenever it's out of power, it's out of power. When it's out of power, it's out of power. And I, th- I think they estimated the degradation because it's you know it's it has to do with the half life of the of the radioactive material on board. Mm-hmm. I think right now there's roughly a a three watts per year loss of power. So you know I think there's like 205 watts available now. So next year there'll be 202 watts and then oh, so okay. forth. So. And Sooner was, or later, it's gonna it's gonna run out of power. Yeah. And it was kept in some kind of low power state for the last nine years. I'm assuming. It was kept in a hibernation state. You know, it didn't. You don't you don't want to wear out the electronics and wear out anything else that's on there. So you you, you know you want to use things as little as you can because you want to preserve the lifetime of everything. But you mm-hmm. still can't stop so, the plutonium from doing its thing. Like that. Oh, right. That's, that's a continuous right. process. That, that that's right. That's right. So power. You know, power during the time of flight from here to, to Pluto was not really a problem. Um, you know, because we designed the thing to operate with just a couple hundred watts. It's just a matter of you don't want to overuse any. You know, I mean, just just like your cell phone or your, right. your computer or anything it? else. Yeah, and eventually it's gonna something's gonna happen in its lifetime and wear it out. So, you know, put we tried to go into what we called a hibernation mode for as long a stretch as we could, and you know, periodically the spacecraft would wake up and signal back to us saying, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm good to go." And we're like, "All right, go back to sleep." And on and it went. Right. And you're, it's like with iPhones. Like you're good as long as you don't uh, like just whatever you do. Don't let Apple upgrade this upgrade the software in this thing. Yeah. It's just, just, gonna just don't do it. anything. It's with gonna, it. Don't do exactly. the updates. It's good. planned obsolescence. It's no good. Yeah. This exactly. Is, uh, this is amazing. So are you um, are you going to be monitoring 
the data as it comes in over the next year? Are you, are you moved on to other projects completely or like what's your day-to-day work on this right now? Well, me specifically, yeah, I've, I've moved on to other projects. So the lab, we actually have, we have a couple other uh, spacecraft missions in the hopper right now. One of them is going to launch in 2018. It's called Solar Probe Plus. This is, this is like the opposite of New Horizons in the sense that it's going to actually go towards the sun mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to literally scratch the surface of the sun. Wow. We're going to launch it. Yeah, we're going to launch it. And it's going to, I think, have one or two flybys of Venus. And then it's going to have an orbit that's getting, whose periapsis is going to, which is the, the closest point in orbit. It's going to orbit the sun, but the periapsis is going to get smaller and smaller, or shorter and shorter and shorter. So you're going to get closer and closer and closer and faster and faster and faster as well mm-hmm. to the sun. And I think the, we're going to get as close as about like eight solar radii or so. Wow, and you know we've designed this thing such that it's li- literally scratching the the sun's corona. You know, you're skimming it. What and kind of temperatures is it going to be dealing with at that? Ri- ridiculously hot, ridiculously hot. You could Wikipedia to find out the exact numbers, but uh, but it's it's ridiculously hot. But one of the biggest the biggest uh, engineering challenges, as you can imagine, is to protect all the hardware. You, you can't design everything to work at those extreme temperatures. Yeah. So so they have we, we've designed this this sunshade which can basically withstand all of that heat and then when you're on the, on the good side of the sunshade the boxes are going to be a very balmy 20 degrees celsius Jesus. so when i say wow. boxes i mean like all the all, yeah it's 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 ridiculous that's room temp- you know? it's going to be room temperature like earth room temperature despite just being about close just to the sun. about earth room temperature that's right w- within within tens of degrees of earth room temperature you know have we shot anything so, just directly into the sun just for fun, like just to watch it burn up? Has that happened yet? Not that I know we of. We haven't done if, that yet. If, if I knew of anything that actually did that, I'd be like, wow, that was a that was dumb. very wise, made, <laughs> a wise spending of money right there. You did, you, did you say 20 degrees or 120 degrees? Uh, 20 degrees Celsius. That is 20. Okay. Yeah, that is yeah. Right. Six, 68 Fahrenheit, I think that is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when, I, when I say 10, within tens of degrees of that, tens of Celsius degrees, yeah, but yeah. you know, still, still very, Reasonable very moderate compared stuff, to right? the, yeah, compared to the temperature of the sun. That's you know? incredible. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. So you're working then, on all these superlatives. You'll be part of the first team to, is that the closest we've sent anything to the sun then, I'm assuming? We, we've never launched anything to really study the sun in that level of detail. And we have other never, things that have, that have studied the sun. Um, we ha- there's actually a pair of spacecraft called Stereo um, that we launched a few couple years ago. Actually, the same year the New Horizons launched, that were a, a pair of observatories that kind of just orbited um, orbited the sun, but they were they were about one AU away, so the same distance that Earth is away from the sun. They kind of were that distance, oh. but they orbited the sun as well at at that um, at that range. So while we have all these observations of the sun, we don't have anything that's ever even thought about going that close. Yeah. So that's that's going to be a that's going to be a really exciting one that we launched in a few years. And when when is that projected to actually arri- like arrive at the sun? Ah, uh, geez, you know now you're quizzing me a little bit more than <laughs> the depth of my knowledge when I'm sitting here waiting for my girls to get out of their dance class. Um, but it'll it'll yeah it'll it'll be a few years. Uh, j- just like everything else with with space, you know you can't. There's no instant gratification. Right. You know, you're, these milestones are, are years and years apart. Yeah. Was... You know, for instance, on, on Messenger, this, the Mercury mission I was mentioning before, we launched that in 2004. That took seven years to get to Mercury. You know, and, and the, the reason it took that long is that we had to do all these flybys to slow down mm-hmm. you know, uh, over and over and over again. So you know, seven years to get to Mercury. It took you know, nine years to get to Pluto. Um, 
yeah, if you're if you want instant gratification, then exploring deep space right is probably <laughs> not not your thing. You know, what's yeah, what's changed in the last 10 years as far as funding uh, in your department or has anything even changed? Um, I think the I think the missions are fewer and farther between. Um, you know, the, the opportunities to launch these things are it, it, NASA doesn't get as much. Every every government agency wishes they got more money, of course. Right. right? right. Um, NASA being just like everybody else. So, you know, you got you to make do with what you got. So the, the cadence of missions has certainly decreased a little bit from the, since the early 2000s. But it actually is a pretty interesting portfolio of missions that are, that are upcoming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, while they're, like I said, fewer and farther between, they're still pretty, pretty interesting missions and with compelling science. I don't know if you've heard, but there's another mission that's that's on the books. It's actually a collaboration between um, the Applied Physics Lab, which is uh, where I work, as well as the Jet Propulsion Laboratory out in, in California. And it's a mission to go to Europa. And I, I don't know if you know much about is Europa. That, is that a moon of Jupiter? That's absolutely right. Yes. That's absolutely right. Oh. Nice work. Nice yeah. work. How many points is so, that worth? <laughs> that, that, that's a, a, at least 50. <laughs> you know, one, one point for every watt that New Horizons has. Yeah. How's that? So, but that, that's tentatively scheduled to launch in 2022. So you can see that the numbers are getting further and further apart. Right, but that's right. actually the, the mission that I've been spending the vast majority of my time on is this Europa mission. Again, it's good. We're planning on launching it in 2022. So instant gratification, right, yeah, not right. going to happen. What's special about Europa? So Europa is really special. If, if you got it like a, just imagine you had a consortium of all the planetary scientists in the country and Bill Nye, of course. Because he's part of every consortium. I saw, I saw pictures of you with Bill Nye last week, or I guess this was yesterday, or the day before. Yeah, no, we, we, I've actually met him on a few occasions. There's a couple stories I could tell you about that. Did he? But, uh, um, did Did he have any Cornell stories to share or anything? We, he didn't share any Cornell stories. We, actually, I actually have a Naples story with him, which is Naples, Italy, which is a. a we'll get we'll get to that. Okay. In a little bit. But um, getting back to Europa, though, if you if you had like all the planetary scientists in one room, and you asked them, hey, where where do you think is the most likely place that life can exist outside of Earth? Probably greater than 95% of them are going to say Europa. And the reason for that is that it's, it's an ice moon, but underneath that ice is an ocean of water, which, is, which implies that if, it, if it's actually ocean, like water ocean, that implies the temperature range is well within the temperatures that life can exist, uh-huh. right? So not, not only that is, that, is that the moon is sufficiently large that there's more water projected to be on Europa than there is on the Earth. So you can just think about all the crazy places here on Earth that life exists, right? Yeah, if yeah. you go to like the, these ridiculously hot you know, geysers and you know, Yellowstone or wherever, Iceland or something like that, there's some microbacteria that can exist in that. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to like the deepest depths of the ocean. There's like crazy weird life forms down there that they've that they've uncovered, right? So, given that, and the fact that you actually have this large and old ocean on on Europa, what are the odds? What are the chances? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's probably the most likely place. So that's that's going to be a ridiculously compelling mission, you know, once once that get, gets launched. And what kind of – that would also be a flyby or an attempt to land or what sort of mission would that be? Well, that mission is actually going to be kind of a combination of an orbiter and a flyby. 
Um, mm. We don't. We can't get into orbit around Europa for much the same reasons that we can't get into orbit around Pluto is that we get to slow down enough to get captured into that would just require so much fuel, more fuel than we can launch to slow right, down, right. you know, once we get there. So that, that's the problem there. But what we can do is we can get into orbit around Jupiter and just have multiple flybys and just, you know, tweak the orbit such that every time we dip into Jupiter, we fly by Europa and we fly by Europa again and again and again. So the mission actually consists of 45 flybys of Europa. In, wow. Over the course of those 45, yeah, that's yeah, a lot. So over the course of those 45 flybys, you're going to gather just ridiculously spectacular science data. And am I, I, I know so little about the history of all the things we've sent out. So things like Voyager, have we sent anything to orbit any bodies beyond Mars? Or have we, wait, hold on a second. Uh, well, we, the, the farthest orbiter that we have is Cassini, and that's going around Saturn right okay. now. I think we launched that sometime either either while we were in college, Andy, or sometime shortly thereafter. Okay. You, that's a Wikipedia thing, sure, a sure. Wikipedia able thing that you can do. So as this, well. but this will be the first time we've sent we've we've had anything orbiting Jupiter at all. Um, I, I think we actually had there's there's a there there might have been a mission before that orbited Jupiter, um, but it it wouldn't have been targeting uh, right, Europa flybys yeah. over and over again. So this this is the first you know intensive study of that moon and so it, it's 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 going to be an awesome mission is the technology it'll be using to capture data about europa the same kind of stuff that's we're using on new horizons to get like what sort of data did we get from pluto we got uh visual and ultra or different things on the spectrum like light light data right and what else did we yeah i mean you have you have particle detectors you have spectroscopy you have all you have uh, various radio science measurements um yeah, you know, there's a suite of instruments that that, your, that New Horizons had. Now, a lot of those instruments would be applicable to a Europa mission as well. Obviously, they have to be designed differently because they're going to be operating in very different environments. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know what you go for in an in an orbiting mission where you have multiple chances to see something. You know the way you des- the way you design your science campaign is going to be different than how you would do a science campaign for a, a one single flyby, like right. a one off, like like uh, like New Horizons. By and large, there's 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 a very similar set of, of instruments that'll be that'll be used. There's again a, a, a bunch of cameras looking at various different wavelengths, some you know below at visible light as well as below and above. Mm-hmm. Um, spect- spectroscopy. There's various particle detectors. There's a magnetometer as well because Jupiter's got a crazy magnetic field, and that's actually another reason that makes that that mission really hard is that um, so Earth has a magnetic field as we all know. And it's because that magnetic field is the reason that the radiation belts exist. You know, the, the sun is constantly bombarding us with a whole bunch of really, really nasty stuff. And the magnetic field that Earth has actually is what saves us from being bombarded by all this nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you have all this radiation kind of just collecting in the radiation belts. That's what causes so you, the northern lights, right? What, say that again? Is that, that, is that what causes the northern lights, the aurora? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So uh, Jupiter has a magnetic field that's way 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 larger than earth's so as a result the radiation around jupiter is ridiculously 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 bad so that that's another actually another reason that getting into orbit around europa would be very tough because you'd have to build a spacecraft that could just be bombarded by radiation all the time and that's just hard to do okay so that's not going to launch until 2022, or it will get there in 2022? It's going to launch in 2022. Yeah, okay. that's, that's the planned launch date right now. Man, yeah, these timescales are, are crazy. Like, is it is it sort of like, uh, 
when something like this happens, does it give you a reason to look back over the last 10 years of your life and think about like, oh, how much has changed in the time since this project got started and now it's actually bearing fruit? It, it, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you, you look at these, um, you know, when, there's all this hoopla all the time whenever there's a major event such as a Pluto flyby because, you know, these things don't happen very often. And, you know, they'll show like a slideshow of what things looked like back when this thing was being built on the ground with people in there. And then, you know, I'd, I'd see a picture of myself with like a full head of hair. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 a, I'm a balding dad that's driving a minivan now. <laughs> you know, nine years ago, that wasn't the case. So, you know, I look at myself at that age. I'm like, wow, that was, you know, I got to do some pretty cool stuff when I was young. And <laughs> luckily, I could, luckily, I get to still do pretty cool stuff when I'm that's... in that time frame we call it middle-aged i guess that's incredible oh, don't dude don't say that don't we're not we're still in <laughs> Sorry, our 30s dude. we're in our 30s that's all that counts approaching approaching right, middle age. right i didn't even realize so this was your first job at a school i didn't realize you this went straight my, into this that's right that's right I, I, right after school you know i i uh, well when actually towards the end of school you know i was trying to figure out what i was going to do and i went on to what i guess what we then called the world wide web <laughs> And, you know, so I saw these job postings here at, at the uh, the Applied Physics Lab with Johns Hopkins, and I shot over a resume, and that's that's my career right there. That's amazing. I got, I got lucky right off the bat. Yeah. I, I, we didn't get into this beforehand. I wanted to tell Matt all this stuff, but uh, you and I lived together during um, a co-op program where we, we spent a semester and a summer out in Folsom working at Intel. That's right. I think that was my first real job of any sort i guess besides like lifeguarding and mowing lawns <laughs> that summer that fall was such a blast oh it was, it was awesome it and was now you've awesome. gone on to fucking design pluto missions that all i'm doing is this stupid podcast and stand-up <laughs> oh dude like, we're all we're, we're all uh, doing good stuff but I, I, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever uh, bragged about your mathematical prowess but like so a- a- andy and i back in the day we would be we, we took a lot of classes together you know we actually graduated with the same degree and we took a lot of physics and a lot of math classes and stuff and this this dude is like he's like a human calculator you know we we'd, go on you know <laughs> you, you, we all sh- we all show up to, to to college thinking that we're all that right and so we take like these ridiculously hard classes i had no idea what i was getting myself in for so these these classes were hard i did not and i did so, not ar- but before you finish but, i did not but, arrange this beforehand this was not something that i told you to and also i should point I, out that still at part to this day at parties and he will still uh turn upside down and spell the word boobies <laughs> <laughs> He could. I mean, this this guy though, he was amazing. Like, I'll be sitting there tearing my hair. I actually had a lot of hair to tear out at that point in time. <laughs> but I'd be I'd be like tearing it out and trying to solve like some mathematical thing, right? And I'd, I'd be like, dude, what 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 do you think we should do? And then Andy would go into this trance, and he, 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 he would he would he would stare at he would stare at this imaginary point about eighteen inches in front of his nose. All right, and like, and he would just stare at that imaginary point eighteen inches directly from his nose, and he would go into like seven seconds of just complete. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. I, 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 I mean, it, 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 it was, he was like, he was like a Buddhist monk just sitting there, <laughs> you know, staring straight. And then he would just like say something like an answer, like a, a number and, and a bunch of units or a bunch of numbers in a few units. And it would be the right answer. Like the, the guy would be doing like these crazy logarithms and, you know, trig- trigonometric functions and derivatives and all that kind of stuff in his head. Just, staring at that imaginary point and i'm like all right i picked the right i picked the right math partner here so i'm good to go i was gonna say the same thing about you before before you got in the air so i wouldn't have to put you in the spot that you're one of the smartest dudes i've ever known in my life and also one of the only 
uh, fellow electrical engineers I actually enjoyed spending time with. Um, do you remember that we both became officers in IEEE just for the free happy hours? Just for the free happy what hours. What is IEEE? And the free food. And the, it, 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 it was a, well, an organization for electrical engineers. And if you, if you were a member of the, uh, the, the student administrative board of, of that, of that, whatever you call it, that organization, you know, you basically got free happy hours and free food in the morning. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you show like a, you know, a, a veggie platter in front of a bunch of engineers, they, they will just swarm around it and eat it. You know, you show, you know, alcohol around any engineers, they will, they will literally, stampede you to get to it yeah so no, we what, had a, what was the um I, my title was faculty student liaison i still don't know what that means but what was your title do you remember oh dude i i have no idea i think they were ele- I, I, they, they were, were elected positions i think we had to get people to vote somehow but maybe it was only a few people that voted or something i i think there were a few people that had actual like voted positions but then there was the rest of us who were you know you and i kind of like just volunteered to maybe be in there for so i think it was rather contrived titles so i, I think either either you know, faculty studently. I think you probably just made that up. That's what that I'm might guessing. Have been, we might have created our own positions. Yeah, I think we just got those because we were the only like mildly extroverted engineers. Which, as the old street joke goes, uh, how do you know when you're talking to an extroverted engineer? Um, when they're talking to you, they look at your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. So, so just now, now it has flown by Pluto. What mm-hmm. does it do next? Does it is it well, done for data collection or is it? Is there more science to be done? There's still a little bit more science to be done. So they're they're doing that and interle- they're doing some data collection still because we're still in in a decent range of Pluto. Um, so they're still get, grabbing some pictures and other other types of scientific measurements. But starting tomorrow, they're probably going to switch more into a data playback mode where we're just kind of spending the next, like I said, sixteen months getting the data down. So from from a scientific standpoint, it's it's going to be a really exciting time for the, for the scientists because you're going to be getting brand new data every day for the next 16 months. You know, imagine being a planetary science, imagine being a PhD student in planetary science right now. I mean, that's just, that's just a gift right there. So that, that's awesome. And then afterwards, so after those 16 months and we uh, uh, transpire and we get all the data down, you know, the, the spacecraft is going to just continue onwards. So what they're trying to do is search, and I think they've actually identified one or two by now, but search for other targets for New Horizons to actually kind of zoom towards in what we call the Kuiper Belt. Um, so, you know, if you go to any planetarium right now, you're going to see, and you look at a picture of the solar system, it'll show you the picture of the, the four rocky planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, which are close, and then the four gas giants, right? The, mm-hmm. the, big, the big ones. But And those were... You know, until recently, those were kind of thought of as the the two parts of our solar system. But in the last decade or so, in the last 10, 20 years, maybe, we've discovered a whole new class of objects, you know, outside of Neptune's orbit, Pluto being the the most prominent of them. And it's called the Kuiper Belt. Mm -hmm. So you probably heard a little bit about that. So the the goal is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the goal is that, you know, once once all the Pluto operations are done, we're hoping to find another Kuiper Belt object that's, you know, sufficiently close to New Horizons' trajectory and do a flyby of that as well and just see something brand new now that we know that it's there. So how do you alter the trajectory of New Horizons now? Like, how maneuverable is it? How much can you actually tweak its movement? 
it's got thrusters. So, you know, you can, you know, you got this thing that's like screaming at some ridiculously fast speed, right? Isn't it the fastest, However, it the fastest object we've ever, uh, right? Doesn't it have the, that superlative of being the fastest? It is, it is the fastest thing we've ever launched. Like I said in the, in the, uh, earlier on, it's the lightest spacecraft that was launched with the biggest rocket that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those two things put together, you know, throw in a, a flyby of Jupiter and this thing is whizzing. So it, it is the fastest spacecraft ever launched from, from Earth. Um, so, you know, it, we all you got to do is give it a little a little sideways push here and there, and you can you can you know uh, pretty significantly change the trajectory to right. target an object that we find. So it's just a it's just a matter of finding those objects because that you can imagine it's hard to do from Earth because these things are just really 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 small. Yeah. So well, you know, hopefully the the Hubble tele, the Hubble Space Telescope has actually been engaged in trying to find future targets for for New Horizons, and I think they actually found a couple of candidates that we might be able to see. And again, they're going to be you know years, if not decades, out. So, and are any of these whole, the ones that are close in size? Because I, I was just googling some of the things that are. I didn't realize that there are there are other trans-Neptunian objects, as they call them, I guess, that are almost mm-hmm. as big as Pluto, like Eris and. Make make is that how it's pronounced? I think I think it's Maki Maki. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then there, there, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. But I mean, those things are they're all they're all scattered around the entire solar system. You know, uh-huh. they're, they're distributed. The kind chances of, of them being somewhere in the trajectory of the, the chance yeah. of the of the big ones is pretty much not there. Um, so it's a matter of finding a smaller one that will be projected to be within the flight path of of New Horizons and going for that. So it'll it'll be a collective effort, you know. The, I know that the Hubble Space Telescope's been engaged in in looking for targets for us to try to to fly by. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they I think they found a couple of candidates. We're not sure whether they're viable or not, but you know, hopefully we'll find something because you know that it's an entirely new part of the solar system that we've not until recently even knew existed. So it'd be kind of cool to to get some information back about that as well. Yeah. So when you were calculating the route, uh, the path to Pluto, I, I mean. Obviously, the major planets and everything, you knew exactly where they were going to be, and that's how you, you even used Jupiter for that reason. But what was the risk of it coming into contact with a tiny, like a small asteroid or just any other celestial it was, object? It on was the way? a, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a risk. You know, the, the one thing that we had going for us is that space is big. Right. So the odds of something being right, right in the way was, was relatively small. But if you think about it, when we first launched the New Horizons spacecraft, we only knew about the one moon of of uh, of uh, Pluto, Charon, right? So that was all we knew at the time. Since then, we've discovered four more moons. I mean, it's like the number of objects orbiting Pluto is multiplying like rabbits here. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if these, and these are the things that we could detect from from the from here on Earth that we knew were in existence, or I, I should say, from Hubble and you know, the, the telescopes near Earth, I should say. So. That would always make people worry that, hey, you know, if, if we're discovering all these other things that are orbiting Pluto, there might be a whole bunch of other things that are even smaller that's also orbiting Pluto. And if you're screaming by at a ridiculously fast speed, you know, even something the size of a grain of rice could basically right, right. destroy your spacecraft. Right. You know, so and, and we would have no idea that they were there. You know, you know what I mean? So that was that was one of our largest concerns when we. Uh, you know, from from yesterday is like, are we, we, we? Did we run into anything that we didn't know existed? Right, and New Horizons and, presumably has very limited shielding because that's all extra weight. It's all extra weight. That's right. So, and you know, different components of the spacecraft are going to be more more or less sensitive to getting hit. You know, right. if something hit the spacecraft right at the right spot, uh, 
you know, that could have been mission ending. So, you know, it was, it was a cause of concern. But like I said, the thing that we had going for us is that space is big. So the odds of something being just really unfortunately in our flight path was low, but, but not insignificant. Right. So luckily we got through all that and, you know, we have a healthy spacecraft. Yeah. I don't think we actually said congratulations. It's amazing. <laughs> oh. uh, good work. Well, it, it's like, uh, thank you on behalf of a ridiculously large team of people that actually made this thing work. So, you know, I had one part to play before we had, before we launched, but there's been a lot of people working very, very hard over the last nine years to make sure that yesterday happened successfully. So it's there's a, a lot of congratulations to go around. What's of the data we've gotten so far in pictures, what's the most exciting thing to you about it so far? Uh, I think it was kind of cool. If you saw that, uh, that picture from yesterday, um, you, you actually saw kind of like this heart-shaped feature on Pluto. Right, right. It, it's kind of that was kind of neat. But I, I saw a couple pictures that were returned today, and what was really neat to see is that there are there are clear geographical features on Pluto. It's not just like something that looks like the Moon, where you just have a surface that has a whole bunch of craters on there. I mean, there there looks to be like mountains and and you know craters, obviously, but like literally mountains and something that might have been like some sort of liquid deposition or something like that because you have these really really smooth areas right next to these things that look like mountains so you know it looks like there's actually there's actually interesting geographical features that that are on pluto you know who would have thought you know maybe there's tectonic activity i mean that would be crazy to to think about that like what else would form mountains you know is that so so the moon doesn't have anything like that any formations on there are just because of things that have impacted it is that correct or well, my, I don't know enough tectonic activity implying that there is a crust and man, I don't know anything about anything. Well, that, that, that's what tectonic activity would right. be. I, I don't think that there's that anything like that's going on on the moon. I think it's just, you know, pockmarks from craters uh-huh. that were impacts from meteors and stuff like meteorites and stuff like that. Um, but Pluto's definitely got some really interesting stuff going on. So over the next, like I said, it's going to be a, a, like a new birthday present every day for the next 16 months. Right, we're going right. to be getting more and more pictures back. So it's it's going to be really interesting. I think if you if you take a look at these things, it, it's going to look like a really interesting world, you know, alien and interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. Looking forward to getting a lot more cool stuff out of it. Um, are you are you running out of time, or are we still okay? Yeah, I have a, I have a couple minutes before the uh, the girls' class ends. Oh, okay. So, but I have about like three or four more minutes or so. Okay. Well, um, is there anything else that you would recommend that listeners check out as far as uh, project pages we can link to for the team at uh, at Johns Hopkins or other things like that? Well, there's there's the Pluto.jhuapl.edu page. That's the main one. Mm-hmm. And I think if if you go there, that's kind of like New Horizons Central. You can find anything you want from there. And of course, there's Wikipedia, but everybody knows that. Right. Yeah, that's um, like the one you just listed has a lot of cool, has that breakdown of all the different subsystems. Yeah, they give you a lot of information about the mission, about the spacecraft, about the science that we're getting back. They have various countdown clocks and all that stuff, so it's kind of neat to kind of neat to see that. I think they did a pretty good job putting that site together. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. What's Johns Hopkins history with, I guess I thought of JPL, and I didn't know there were teams involved in this at Johns Hopkins. Well, yeah, usually people think of interplanetary spacecraft as, as, a, as a JPL monopoly, but, you know, we are in the game, too. You know, yeah. we have... Uh, we we have spacecraft like I said we orbited uh, Mercury we actually orbited and landed on an asteroid Eros uh, several last decade as well and you know we have the uh, solar probe mission coming up as well. Um, Is there any JPL rivalry? 
Well, there's, there's, well, the, the Europa mission that I mentioned is actually a collaboration between okay. the two of us. So it, it, well, it's one of those things where you, you want to have a good balance between competition and collaboration. Right. You know, without, without competition, that's going to make everybody, everybody kind of lazy and, you know, make everything cost more and not be as neat. Um, so you want to have some, some level of competition, but you also want to obviously leverage people's strengths when you're doing a big mission like the Europa mission or anything like that. Right. So it's, it's, it's good to keep a healthy combination of the two. That's a really good political answer, isn't it? I've been practiced in that. So. <laughs> do you yourself, do you have a Twitter handle or a social media that our listeners can check out? I actually do not. I, I probably should start one. But uh, surprisingly, I don't even, I'm not even on Twitter. I'm, I'm so, I'm so. Busy getting know, things done and having a life. And sending, <laughs> sending things to space. Dad, dad with a minivan, right? <laughs> But, yeah, uh, also, no, congratulations I, that, on your two daughters. That's also happened since you. I've seen thank you last. <laughs> <laughs> and apologies yeah, that, for not being a better friend, by the way. We should stay in touch more well, often. Well, I think that, 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 that's mutual for both of us. <laughs> uh, we, should, we should definitely stay in touch more often. So. Yeah. Well, Deepak Srinivasan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was a, it was a delight and uh, continued success on all the future missions. Yeah, and, and you know this, the show's. I'm gonna have to start checking out your show now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? give it a listen. This this uh, this is a this is a, a, a great theme that you guys got going on here. Well, you, you might end going. up retroactively removing your permission to be part of this thing. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> now do with it as you please. I trust you guys. So <laughs> thank you so right. thank you so much for joining. That was fascinating. Absolutely, all the best, guys. Take care. Thanks, you too. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Deepak Srinivasan. I don't think I said his full name before he called, so that's who that was. What a delightful dude, and why have I not stayed in <laughs> better touch with him over the last 16 years? Ugh, I'm the worst. Um, yeah, that's incredible. That was very, very cool. Good work, Andy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my doing. Um, you, you set that I, up, and also now I found out you're a human calculator. I'm a human calculator. <laughs> I, I used that. to be good at some stuff before, uh, yeah, before I wasted my education on comedy. Um but yeah, this is going to send me down a bunch of Wikipedia wormholes, I feel like. Uh, it's fascinating. I, yeah, I really I didn't know much about um, our history of where we've sent where in the solar system and how we've done it. And the fact that this wasn't solar powered was totally news to me. I didn't... Uh, yeah, I didn't realize. And that also, thing from the Martian you mentioned, I didn't realize that was based on something we're already doing. The power unit, the RTG that they... Uh, yeah, apparently the book, so. The Martian, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad I read that book and that therefore got to sound knowledgeable about the thing that I got from a novel rather than... Yeah, I'm kind of worried about that research. movie. What do you think? I think it's going to be fine. I just... The, the book was really interesting from an engineering standpoint, but didn't have much heart to it. Yeah. So, we'll see. I think it'll be good. Hey, you know how you, know how you could consume The Martian? How could you do that, Matt? You could, you could read it, but you could also listen to it That's on true. Audible. That's true. You could go to audible.com slash PSP and get one free audiobook and a free uh, one-month trial subscription to Audible, which has over 180,000 audiobooks for your, for your perusal, for your listening enjoyment. And also, the other way you can help support the show is by donating at probablyscience.com. I believe we have a donor this week, a oh, we generous do. donor. Uh, we do. I didn't bring that up before. This was all thrown together pretty quickly as I saw that this uh and andy's uh, kidding we put this podcast together <laughs> nine years ago um, well actually we started work on the podcast uh right. 12 years ago i had if you start thinking about it is that i put it on my vision board um yeah let's see we had a donation from fiona hollier 
Is that Hollier or Hollier? I can't read. Hollier. That is Hollier. Hollier from Calgary, home of the 1988 Winter Games, I think. Uh, Thank you very much, Fiona. Also, a very nice place to do comedy. Oh, yeah. I haven't been up there for that or for anything. So why do I have to qualify it? Um, (laughs) I think I will be in Winnipeg, though, at the end of August. um, Oh, cool. For a new festival called Odd Block, Winnipeg's Comedy Block Party. I believe, uh, if I'm not, I'll edit this out um many friends of the show have been on it oh yes, sorry including, it's attending it uh eddie pepitone last week's guest is james adomian karen kelgareth all of these people have been on our show mm-hmm. and i've been to winnipeg for the winnipeg comedy festival which is another festival up there winnipeg is a great place to do comedy partly as a result of god damn what a place it is like it's what, ridiculous just too cold Oh my god, they live in tunnels underground. And oh, when I pointed it out to them, they're like, we don't, we've only got a few tunnels underground. <laughs> like, well, there are other bits that are above ground. But, but wait, is it any worse than anywhere else in Canada? I mean, it's a cold place, no, right? No, it's really worse than other places in Canada for cold. Okay. Because it's right in the middle. Like, it's it's like Chicago and then up. Like, you, like okay. you know how... But Calgary is not as cold as Winnipeg, you're saying? Calgary is not as cold as Winnipeg. Interesting. And yeah, and I'm pretty sure about that. Or maybe it just seemed colder. Yeah, maybe it had the illusion of cold, but I no, I definitely did Winnipeg and Calgary. I know this is just sample size of one, but I did Winnipeg and Calgary in a week and a half span, mm-hmm. and nah, now Winnipeg's freezing, too cold. Hopefully in August it's not too bad. We'll see. August um, will be fine. August and I, this all might get edited out because I might not be going. I think I am, but uh, regardless. You can check out Andy T. Wood on Twitter to see other things that I am um, either doing or getting mad about. And uh, you can always um, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. And if you want to throw us some reviews, ratings in iTunes, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you're doing any shopping, don't forget to click on our Amazon link. Before you do that, it costs you nothing extra and we get a nice little kickback. Um, oh, speaking of which, it's Prime Day. I should go check that out. Yeah, they I have know. like $100 40 inch TVs today I, already, is, I heard about that I didn't, couldn't be bothered um, but that I don't know I just you don't, want a 40, you don't want a 40 inch TV for 100 bucks no it's too much TV <laughs> it's too, what am I going to do with it TV. it's at least there's at least 10 inches more TV than I need that's 43 it doesn't look that big right ah, look at it it's, it's dominating the room Matt's down on looming over us on the record is not liking big TVs um, at Matt Kirshen for me at Probably Science for the podcast at Jesse Case for Jesse mm-hmm. and also that please check out Jesse versus Cancer the third episode should be dropping around the time that this episode drops check it out Jesse our friend is going through some stuff but he is choosing to spend some of that time being brilliant and producing a wonderful show so do that support him uh any questions, comments, clarifications, probably science at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probably science. You can donate at probably science.com. You can shop through Amazon. You can spread the word. Tell other people about what we're doing. Let people know. We always appreciate that. Write nice things about us online. And we will see you next week. Yep. Thanks. Bye.